Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth. It's the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, we're going to talk about poverty. We're going to talk about the cause and effects of poverty. And a recent study that was done tracking a group of folks in the North Carolina uh, Smoky Mountains. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Because they're having the caucuses in South Carolina. The Democratic debate is on tonight. I don't think poverty is on their agenda. Do you? I don't think so. (laughs) But it should be. It should be for everybody who's running for political office anywhere. Poverty should be something that's on the agenda. Uh, so today is also the 24th of February, and today is uh, the memorial for Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gina, who were both killed in a helicopter crash in late January. That memorial is taking place at Staples Center in Los Angeles later on today. Our thoughts and prayers are with everyone impacted. And certainly today, I just want to contribution to the culture of Los Angeles, right? And to his impact on basketball and sports. There are so many athletes and so many group of people who say that he inspired them to be better. He inspired the whole generation of athletes, not just from basketball, but athletes who performed in other sports, he inspired a whole generation. Incredible. To have that kind of impact is enviable, isn't it? It's enviable. So, and I call for you. I know you have an impact somewhere, and I hope that the folks around you give you your flowers while you can breathe them (laughs) and you can smell them, right? So today we want to talk about, I'm I'm not going to pay any attention to the Democratic debate because I don't know why they're even talking. Didn't they just have one a couple weeks, a couple days ago? And it was a wash, right? I'm not interested in that. I invite you for the next few minutes uh, uh, to, as you join me with me, as I to learn some new stuff about poverty and learn new ideas that perhaps we weren't exposed to before. That's what we attempt to do here on Down to Earth, is to bring you ideas about the issues that may be we haven't paid attention to or maybe we haven't been exposed to for whatever reasons, whatever our reasons are. It could be cultural barriers. It could be social barriers. But we want to explore those as well, right? So uh, thank you so much for joining me. I, I appreciate your uh, taking time out on this Monday morning to do so. And wherever you are in the world or wherever you are in the country, I want to say good morning to you. And I just want to give you a heads up. You know, there's this talk about climate change, right? And some people think that climate change doesn't happen. I beg to differ. I live in Michigan, right? And, and so on. In, in fact, in some cases, I've worn double leggings <laughs> because it was so cold. I mean, we've had polar vortexes where we had negative temperatures, like the feel like temperature is negative 35, where it's advisable not to even open your front door. 
where if water drips on your car or on your door lock, it freezes, where you can't open your garage door because it freezes, right? Well, this winter has been one of the mildest that we've seen here in the Midwest. I mean, we barely had snow. We had some snow. Nothing to ride home about. It wasn't even cold. Saturday, Friday, it was 50 degrees. Saturday, it was even warmer. It was 52 degrees. I almost fell out, y'all. And yesterday, I I couldn't believe it. It was 50 degrees yesterday. It was so warm that I didn't know what to do. I, I seriously didn't know what to do, right? I even I didn't wear it. Today, guess what? I I said, since it's so warm, I'm wearing a dress. And I'm not wearing a dress with leggings or pantyhose. I'm making a point how warm it is in Michigan in February, where traditionally this doesn't happen. So anybody who disputes climate change, come over here, <laughs> right, and see what it feels like, right? Used to be iced over. Now I heard geese are moving around. I mean, they, they look at the lakes. The lakes are melting, right? The top of the lakes are melting. The top of the ponds are melting, right? There's no ice on the roads. Dudes, that is the weirdest thing ever, right? <laughs> okay, I didn't mean for you to be distracted, right? So today I'm wearing a dress without the jacket on and you go on out. It's it's the weirdest thing ever. So if anybody disputes climate change, I don't know, I beg to defer right now. I beg to defer. So I wanted to introduce some new ideas that maybe even you yourself have thought about. I know many of us as we watch the newscast every day and we see where violent crime takes place, we often ask ourselves, could they have done better? Or maybe we don't say, could they have done better? You probably look at it and say, why would you do that? That was silly. That was a stupid thing to do. You look at children or people who go into a convenience store. That's my thing, and rob a convenience store. And I'm like, why would you do that? And there are cameras everywhere. You look at young women who commit retail fraud. You know, they walk into a store where there are cameras everywhere, and they intend to walk out with merchandise or take merchandise to walk out with. And you ask yourself, are they silly or not? Did they intend to go to jail? Did they want to go to jail? So it, it, for some time now, I've been wondering, what's the correlation? Because I, I'm asking myself, what is the money from drug dealing? And you're like, then after a while, you don't switch it off. You, you don't say, okay, I made the money. I got away with it. Let me now take that money and transform it into something else and stop doing it so you don't get caught. You see what I'm saying? So I've often wondered, why do they keep repeating the same cycle? It, it it became something for me to look at when uh, a couple of years ago, some folks I know drew me into this criminal justice reform group, right? And, and they began looking at people who were in prison generationally. So there's a grandfather in prison, and then there's a son in another prison, and then the, 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 the grandson is about to go to jail, and that freaked me out. That totally freaked me out. I was like, whoa, 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 what is going on? So like most of us, I kind of wonder, what are the dynamics? What causes poverty? As a matter of fact, with all that you can say about Trump, with all that we don't like about his policies and so on, Trump is now saying his administration has taken the stance that to eradicate poverty, everybody needs to at least have a high school diploma. And the rest of us are like, ah, that should have happened. Right? But they feel that at the very least, a high school diploma would negate poverty. But then you and I look at each other like, seriously? Where are you going to get a job?
job with a high school diploma day. That's going to take you out of poverty. That's going to make you able to pay your bills. Do you see where I'm coming from? But maybe that's what they're thinking from where they're sitting. They're thinking that people are where they are because they a whole set of dynamics, which I want to expose to you. This study uh, was published on the correspondence, and uh, the author of the study spent some time uh, looking into this and has been working with other professors, one from Duke University, who have been studying this for some time. And it took them to economists. Imagine that, economists. And one of the, the, the contexts that came out of this, of course, is the law of scarcity. Anybody familiar with that, with the scarcity mentality? That if you don't have it, you tend to focus more on it. And you will make a poor decision centered around that lack of scarcity. The scarcity mentality is powerful. I think in a lot of cases, that's why people don't have money. It's, the scarcity mentality is evident. Every tell themselves that this is, they are locked into that mindset. It then tells us that there are a couple of things about poverty. Poverty is nature and culture. Poverty is how, we, it's how people think. And poverty can be solved. So there are government programs. There are government programs like ensuring people get a GED. There are government programs that are geared specifically job placement programs. Those are one of the tools that the Trump administration, I'm not used, I'm not, look, I'm not advocating for Trump. I am just looking at the facts. And the facts are one of the things they're doing to eradicate poverty that most people don't see is that when people come out of jail, they can get jobs. Most people, when they come out of jail because they can't pass a criminal background check, they can't work, which does what? Send them right back into jail. They commit a crime to go back into jail because they can't rent a house, can't rent an apartment, can't buy, get a loan, can't get a loan to go back to school. So now there are specific companies and specific industries who will employ people knowing the government provides incentives to these employers, knowing that these folks have a criminal background. And so they will earn enough to take them and the next generation out of poverty. So when you look at poverty, then, you tend to think that there are some dynamics. And I want to read you a brief blurb that my producer wrote. And she said this. She said, uh, what is the cause of mental health problems among poor people? Have you also noticed that, that poor people tend to have mental health issues? Can higher crime rates, lower educational performance? Research says the answer is yes, but that's not true. According to data from Duke University, the stress of poverty, listen to this, the stress of poverty, the constant struggle to make ends meet, the constancy of burdening yourself and worrying about how you're going to make ends meet, puts people genetically predisposed to develop an illness or disorder, you place them at an elevated risk. Now you know why. So this is why you go into some environment and you wonder why generations of people in this family or in this area are, are prone to well, the area is poor. The stress, the mental stress. This is why, for instance, you find that, I've often said this, I, I have been a single parent since my divorce in 2002, right? And I used to say that from what I saw of single parents, they died early. They died pretty young. They didn't live beyond 70, 80, or 90. And they died young because I discovered that the stress of raising a child, making ends meet, always constantly 
having to worry about um, using all the available resources to take care of whatever. I used to say that that's what did it. So I determined that it was not going to kill me. And I determined that I am going to take care of myself in spite of. So no matter what else was going on, I was going to eat healthily. I was going to take care of me by the way I think. And I was going to find programs that helped me. If it's going to take a burden off, then I'm going to do it. So I began to readjust my myself and readjust my thinking based on my circumstances. Because before, I didn't have to worry about making ends meet, worrying about how the bills were going to be paid or so on. I didn't have to worry about that. But once I became aware that now that I had become a single parent, that it was necessary for me to, to, to think constantly. I said, first of all, I'm not going to go to bed and worry about the stuff. It's going to be solved by the time I wake up in the morning. If it's not tomorrow morning, it's going to be. And I just go do my yoga. I, I could do not. I began to do mental exercises and do positive affirmations and so on. Because I was determined that it was not going to take me out. It's not going to kill me. And yet this is what the study is saying. That people who are, and if I had not, for the brief time that that happened to me, if I had not experienced it, I would never have understood it because I couldn't understand it. I wasn't born poor. I grew up middle class. So I I really wasn't exposed to this struggle and poverty thing. Didn't you see where I'm I'm coming from? So I was like, well, what's going on here? So when I look at it and I began to children, and they studied the Cherokee tribe in North Carolina. The Cherokee tribe set up a, a casino. Prior to setting up a casino, their income per month per person was $400. They used their own tribal lands and set up a casino. And in setting up a casino in the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina, their income distributed amongst the 8,000 members of that clan, their income went from $400 per month to $6,000 per month. What they studied over time was that the children performed better in school. They gained one year of education. And mentally, they did not, when they lack money, they make poor decisions. This explains why people going to a convenience store and hold up the convenience store, they're not thinking of the ramifications of their decision. They're not thinking that you're better off going to find a job that will pay you. You have long term, right, a longer term to achieve what you want to achieve than to go in there, get a quick fix, get a quick $200 out of that cash register that gives you 20 years to life. Poor people make poor decisions, not because they have poor character, but based on their scarcity. The scarcity of their situation predisposes them to making poor decisions. Now, this is important for sociologists, our short term, because it's in the mind. Typically, by the time a person gets to these programs, they've already been damaged. If they grew up in a lifestyle where there was always scarcity, it's going to impact the way they think. Because look at it this way. The scarcity mentality is that it occurs like this. If you don't have it, you focus on it. And you focus on it and you focus on it. And some of us may say, well, tunnel vision is a good thing because you're focused on achieving a goal. But not if that is your constancy of life. If all you ever have to focus on 
eating. Let's say you have to worry about providing food. You have to constantly worry about it. Then what happens is you don't have any mind space to worry about the other things that you need to worry about for people to be paid at $9 an hour and $7 an hour because they're constantly worrying about how they're going to make it. And it's something that employers don't think about and the people who are entrepreneurs don't think about. They don't care. What we are believing is that a group of people or a nation of people who are going to be more prone to healthcare problems. You know what's going to be the solution for that? The Hunger Games. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, we aim to stay out of any play on the Hunger Games ever becoming a reality which it seems to me we're headed that way, right? Where they start to want them to see how we live rich and live big and rich. So keep them over there where they can, they're used to it anyway. Don't you, haven't you heard that from people? Why are you so worried about the poor, Harriet? Why are you so worried about that? When I started providing services to human trafficking victims, right? I know you're hearing me. When I started providing services, people were like, why are you so worried about that? Someone actually asked, why are you so worried about a group of, I, I kid you not, they're used to it anyway. Why are you so worried about it? They're used to it. Leave them. I kid you not. That's the perception. Or something like that. I don't know. And I looked at him like in all seriousness. Now, I don't know. I didn't know his, I'm not intimate with his financial situation. I just... I'm assuming that he could do it, but I asked him why. I said, why would you spend $300 on a belt? And he said, because I can. I said, so all your bills are paid. All the bills for your business are paid. Your children's bills are paid, so you can buy a belt for $300. And he said, yeah, I can. And I said, "Mm, okay. I said, but could it help tomorrow? And he's like, I have a credit card for that. And I looked at him and I said, I guess it's how you look at life anyway. And I couldn't date him anymore because I was like, we don't have anything in common. But he looks at life like that's $300 to him. He could just go buy a belt. He could buy two or three all at the same time if he wanted. And it didn't bother him. And I said, that's a scarcity mentality. <laughs> he, nearly, he nearly killed me. He was like, what do you mean? I said, well, you probably have always wanted to be the type of person who can spend $300 on a belt. And now that you can, you think about it, but you don't think that that $300 could perhaps save off poverty for the next two generations. I was not bad at that time. He was like, I, I was just like, you know what? I was like, oh, we don't have anything in common. It ended right there. It was like, I don't know. His financials. So I don't know what, how much what his investment portfolio looks like. I do know that he has a lot of cars. And my thing is, that's a lot of money tied up in cars that you can only drive one at a time. To me, it's not important to spend $500,000 on a car or $200,000 on a car. I mean, if it gets you around, yeah. But to me, a car is a car is a car. It gets you from point A to point B. Now, I like a car with comfort and luxury because when you're driving, you think of safety. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to spend $200,000 on a car, y'all. I'd rather take that $200,000 and go invest in some stocks that's going to give me a longer-term benefit. Do you see what I'm saying? But here's Mr. Mayweather. He buys cars, buys shoes, 
And I'm like, at some point, somebody needs to tell this guy to stop. Go invest that money. Go put that money in, in an investment vehicle. Because it always looks new. You know, they tell you that you're worth $500 million or $200 million. But how much money do you have in the bank? How much money is coming in? How much money is coming in and how much do you have to spend to make it? The numbers. The numbers don't lie. Isn't, isn't that the truth? It's, I was reading an article recently, and they asked people, most people, when financial planners ask people, well, what's your monthly budget? Most people don't know what their monthly budget is. I have some callers here. Let me take let me take caller number one. You've been holding up. I can't put down to earth. You know, your audio is fluttering pretty bad today. Uh, Maybe they don't. Yeah, I don't but, know. But, uh, you know, on your, on your topic, and, and let's look at the... African Americans, blacks. Mm-hmm. The one of the things that uh, drags them and holds them in poverty is, uh, of course, economics, but the education. Uh huh. And when you look at the data, you see where uh, blacks are overrepresented in low-paying majors. Now, you can't blame the college student because. Where they come from in the elementary years, that's where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. The programs, the 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 curriculums, and you know, mm-hmm. curriculum can be whatever a local school district wants it to be, i.e., the people, but they are not right. being prepared, uh-huh. and they are being steered away from the hard subjects. And right. another thing. I think too much emphasis is put on sports, i.e. basketball and football, because Mm -hmm. to practice and be good at that, and many of them fall way short and never make it, they have to sacrifice the academics, and that, Uh in fact, is what hurts them. So that's one reason. It may not be the only, but it is one main reason. It's a contributing factor. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's an interesting perspective there. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm I'm constantly amazed at how we think. Uh, caller number two, thanks for joining us. Hello? Caller number 7244. You still there? Hello. How are you, ma'am? Hello. Hi. Good morning. This is Harriet with Down to Earth. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's a great topic. And um, I think uh, from what Pianchi just said, um, speaking about um, education, um, mm-hmm. and I have a brother who is in education, and he mm-hmm. speaks a lot about certain disparities, even some of the things he has to see and go through and also endure as a black teacher here in America. When we talk yeah. about how this system is and, you know, just to add on what you guys are just talking about, um, when you when you throw in the school to prison pipeline, yeah. and this is a thing that's 100% real, the school mm-hmm. to prison pipeline, so meaning sometimes people, some of these school systems and teachers may have more incentive on marking our children wrong, on saying right. that they are wrong and they are criminal and, and, you know, mm-hmm. sending them over to the the prison uh, system more. 
this person wow. is acting out rather than, and I think these are the dynamics that did change when we yeah. had segregation, I mean, integration. Because I can remember uh-huh. back in the day hearing the stories from segregation, it was more of a personal experience w- between the teacher and also the child. You know, a one mm-hmm. where if the child wasn't doing what he or she may need to be doing, the teacher mm-hmm. would, you know, probably know the parent and they would be able to get uh, a resolve for, for these issues. But when we look at poverty, we look at, again, going back to what Pianchi said, the education. And currently, right now, our education to and for our children isn't a one that is fitting for them to feel good about themselves. Even when we look right. at a historical content and what they're learning in school, they are now taught that, hey, black history is something that you can only do for one one month out of the year, you understand. I'm pretty sure wow. that's what, a, and a lot of a lot of people aren't even. So it's minimalizing, you know, the education, mm. the substantial education, um, for the the child or for the children to now feel good about themselves. So rather than feeling that they are worthless, going back again to poverty, mm. rather than feeling like they're worthless, they feel they're feeling like they have worth. I feel like the 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 the, the riches, the wealth. It's coming from internally. You understand? The books that our, our mothers are reading to us, helping us to feel good and identify with ourselves. Even when you look at the culture, the hip-hop culture, which has become a popular culture, is a one mm-hmm. that promotes worthlessness. It's a one that promotes worthlessness and is teaching our children, hey, it's a profit in being worthless. It's a profit in being a thought. It's a profit right. in being a slut. It's a profit in being... Uh, a thug or all this other stuff. Hey, look at future. And going back again to what Pianchi said, I think this system is actually selling to our children, hey, you can make it and you can do a whole lot better for yourself running this football, running, uh, shooting this basketball, rather than saying, hey, you can do good for yourself because we don't really see those images of black successful doctors or black successful lawyers. So basically basically what you're saying is that education – is uh, is a way out of poverty, and education will improve their mindset as they look at their lives. That's what you're saying. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, right? Even, even wow. And and I, I I'm not trying to go off or take a shot at anybody, but a lot of our religions, our mainstream religions, you know, rather than us looking at the deity or the savior being able to identify with us, we have to look at him. You know, like I grew up in the church, and when I went to church, I would have to look at the back in in the back at a white at a white Jesus, rather than looking at somebody that looked like myself. Again, adding back to that worth worth to myself and feeling confident. Now I'm looking at and holding up the person that you know really doesn't favor me. So you know, I think it's 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 a psychological thing, and it does start with education. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling, and I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I, I kid you not. It never fails to amaze me how different topics land on, on some of us. And, and do you see how important it is sometimes to have conversation? Because you bring other perspectives in, and everyone has a voice. Everybody has something to say. And I would hope that politicians who are running this year, next year, and those who are in this election cycle, I do hope they pay some attention to what the people are saying. Because what we're continuing to say is that education makes a difference in people's lives. And if education makes a difference in people's lives, then we need to be able to 
help people. In fact, in the study that I read, uh, it says that governments use education, financial guidelines, and job programs to alleviate or eradicate poverty. What the scientists, what the social scientists are saying is that those don't work. They work for some, but they don't work for others, right? What they're saying is, uh, is that they don't work because it's genetically predisp- predisposition, just like the caller is saying. That's basically what he's saying. If we educate people, then we perhaps have a chance to change their mindset. If we refocus how they look at stuff, if we refocus how they view stuff, we might just have a chance to change their mindset. Isn't that interesting? That is mind-blowing to me because I do think that education works. But I also think that by the time, this is what I think, and this is what the study says, if you look at a child, a small child who grew up in poverty from the time it's born until it becomes aware of himself, usually by about six to eight years old, if that child grew up in abject poverty, their mindset and their opinions have already been formed. So they're going to go to school and their mindsets are preformed. If poverty is endemic in the environment around them, like in some inner cities across the country, there's no infrastructure, right? We all know. So there's no budget, no money in the budget to, set, to educate kids because education is a way out. If people are educated, they can do what? Say it. Get better jobs. If they can't get better jobs, feeling about themselves because they feel like they can take care of children. They can take care of themselves. They can save money for a rainy day. Do you know how much that impacts people? Let me ask you this. For those of us, you have money put away. You have money in a 401k. You have money saved. You have six months of mortgage money, six months of car payment money, six months of bills money. Some of you have 15 years of bill money put away. Do you realize that you are not subject to the same level of stress? In the study that I read, it said poverty is the equivalent of losing 14 IQ points, which is almost like saying you lost a whole night's sleep. Poverty is the equivalent of losing 14 IQ points. That tells us why poor people make poor decisions. If, if a, you've, you've all been in grocery stores. I, I, the last time I was in a store, maybe that's why I don't go to big box stores much anymore, and I saw a young mother being let out because she had stolen some diapers. And I was like, if she had just asked one of us, we would have bought the diapers. She didn't have to go spend time in jail for a pack of baby diapers. But then I had to ask myself, but I'm buying the baby diapers for today. What about next time when they need baby diapers? She didn't think that far. You see what I'm saying? You see the difference? All she was focused on was the scarcity of the moment. This is why some people don't send their kids to school because today, right now, they don't have a babysitter. They would have to stop from going to work for the child to go to school if the child is sick, right? They're also looking at how much is it going to cost. And they're like, I don't have the money. No, they don't look at the long term that keeping the child out of school is making the child not like school. They're not going to learn anything. Eventually, the child develops the habits and the lifestyle of not wanting to go to school, period. Do you see what I'm saying? So eventually, that child develops issues. So even if the parent circumstances change, the child still has those problems that will later on manifest. 
like I was telling you, in this study, the Duke University professor who did this performed a psychiatric test on children who from the Cherokee tribe. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Forgive me for any mispronunciation. It was not intentional, and it's not meant as a sign of disrespect for your for the preservation of your heritage. In this study, she tested young children. Remember, they were the parents were earning four hundred dollars per month. After the establishment of the casino, their incomes went up to six thousand dollars per month. What happened with those children? They found that the children stayed in school longer and they didn't commit crimes. Remarkable, isn't it? Question the parents. The parents were still working hard. They were still working just as many hours. They were just making more money. So the parents say they're able to make more money. They're able to save more so they felt better about their future, felt better about their ability to provide. They didn't have to worry about bills. They could take care of bills. This is why I'm telling all of us. It's a scarcity mentality. When you go to buy a house, you can't afford You have to really be conscious of yourself. It's a scarcity mentality, a poverty mentality. The the economists refer to it as a scarcity mentality because that's all economists study, right? They don't study uh, plenty. (laughs) They don't study uh, having more. They study scarcity. But look at it this way. If you're going to buy a house that if your spouse loses her job, it's going to be a challenge to pay the mortgage and pay the bills because you the more money you spend on a house, the lifestyle changes. Some people don't think like that. You realize that until you're in the house and you realize that that's what the neighbors do. And if you don't do it, they're going to look at you funny and you will feel funny. And your kids will feel funny and act funny. So when you're going to buy a house and you say it's going to improve our uh, our equity, we're going to have more equity in the house and so on, think about the lifestyle. I like to say it like this. If you're going to live in a house that cost over $250,000, your budget needs to be $6,000 a month. So that if it costs, because it's going to cost you $4,000 a month to live. Nowadays, with food costs going up, it's almost, so make sure you have a budget of 6000 So you have to, well, I'm barely scraping by at 5900 or 5500 What happens is that you're putting stress on yourself. People get their tax returns and they go pay down on a brand new car. On the car of their, you drive off the lot and you pay $2,500 down and you're like, it was easy to get into, but the payments come in at $599 a month. The insurance comes in. The other attendant things come in, right? Add that up. That is putting stress on you. What if something happens? You always have to plan for a what if. You have to put some money away and more than enough. So my thing is don't buy a house that you can't afford. So many people do that. Most people don't spend. Most people are smart. Some people, what they do when they get their tax returns, that's when they take that tax return money to go on vacation. They plan a Disney vacation with a family. They go in the summer and they pay for it with a tax return money. Some people use it to do a home improvement project at home. And yet for others, they go buy a house, they go buy a car that they can't afford. They go spend the money, put that money away and buy some stocks out of it. 
put away something so it, the longer it stays there, it's going to accrue and accrue and accrue and accrue and accrue until by the time you're ready to use it at 55 or 60, you have something. I also believe that you should go and get educated. If it does nothing, it makes you feel better about yourself. Have something about yourself. Have a project to do. And I know that when, when people are poor, you can't focus on anything else but the scarcity of the moment. And even when some people make more money, they still, because of what they had endured or lived through, they still can't get past it. This is why you see when young athletes make a lot of money, they spend the money so fast, it disappears. It's a scarcity mentality. Look at it this way. If you go to your refrigerator and it's empty, you're going to feel hungry. Your refrigerator is full. You feel full, too. You're like, yeah, I don't have to eat. But if your refrigerator is empty, gosh, you're going to eat everything up. <laughs> right? The scarcity mentality. And and we, we, we look at these things, and, and I, I see where most of us are like, you know what? Poor people are causing way too many problems in the society. They're always mentally ill. But think about that. Because of scarcity, make more programs. And when you talk about stuff like this, you know what people come up with? They say you're being a socialist. No, you're being human. You're saying make more opportunities available so people feel better about themselves. You'd be surprised. Most people don't need a lot to live. They just need to live and let it live. Pay them a reasonable wage. I'm talking to Amazon, Jeff Bezos and company, who refuses to pay his people well and gives them the wickedest conditions to work under. Pay them well. Right? I had a recent report on CNBC before coming on air that says that they can't find enough workers. They can't find skilled laborers because people are like, I don't, you have to give me the pay and you have to give me the benefits and I want a work environment that is sustainable to me. I don't want somewhere where it's constantly performance-based that drives people crazy and makes them ill. Then they go home, their backs are broken, they're stressed out, and now they have more issues. And on top of that, they have to worry about losing their house. Pay people so they can live. It's not going to hurt you. It's not really going to take out your bottom line. Pay people so they can live. It's better for all of us. It's going to reduce crime in the long run. Yes, it will. It will reduce crime in the long run. And if one thing we are all worried about is crime. That's why we're moving further and further away. I'm putting up more gated communities. There are more gated communities in America today than there were in the 90s and the early 2000s. That's because we're worried about crime. Our vehicles, our motor vehicles are impenetrable. I'm surprised they're not made out of bulletproof glass by now. I kid you not. That's what Tesla is, right? It's virtually indestructible, right? People are looking at it like, yeah, if I pull up at the stop sign and the panhandler won't come smashing on my windscreen because he wants my iPhone 11 Pro Max. Or he thinks he can get my earbuds out of my ear. Perception. Right? People, you remember when people used to kill people to get Jordans? It was the lifestyle they wanted. They could also go take it and go make a quick buck. Poor people make poor decisions, not because they have poor character, but because they don't think it through. Because of scarcity. They think only in the context. Right now. This moment. Right now. This is what they think about. They don't think about the long-term consequences. And that comes from a state of mental unwellness. So basically then, poor people are poorer and continue to be poor because 
of mental health issues, well, if they have a predisposition, guess what's going to happen? It's going to exacerbate that, right? It's going to exacerbate Let me see if I've covered the main points that I want to cover this morning. And I want to to make sure that we walk away with this. Uh, There was a study on insanity. I don't know if we all remember this. Uh, or we all are familiar with this, Insanity in Massachusetts in 1855. And it tried to examine the correlation between poverty and mental illness. So they've been studying this for some time, y'all. Mm, you and I are looking at each other like, sure, right? The same study by Duke University also found that poverty made people more prone to behavioral problems. That is a truism. That is a truism. So governments are going to continue to look at ways, and it's not just here in the U.S., it's in other countries, because the study also looked at people in other countries, uh, in India, for instance. But poverty does contribute to people making poor decisions because you're looking at the context. You're looking at now. It's scarcity. So for years, we were looking at the mental, the psychological impacts. But what we didn't look at was why. The real why is because of scarcity. If we can address the issue by providing people with jobs that they have access to so they can buy a car, buy a house, and so on, and stop firing people when it comes close to 90 days, that thing sets a toll on people. It's traumatic. Stop it. Employers, you don't want to pay people uh, health benefits. So as it comes 90 days, you fire people. You're wicked. You're contributing to the mental health turmoil that is taking place in the society. I've heard too many stories of this now for it to just be random events. It's happening all across the country. Recently, I spoke to a psychiatrist who was counseling someone because they went to work, they were qualified for the job, and they promised them the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then within three months, within just before the 90-day mark, they fired them and sent that young person into a turmoil Wanted, they were became suicidal because they thought they had done something wrong. They have student loans to repay. They thought they were on a path to create a, a living wage or a living cycle for themselves. Instead, they had to move back home because of this. Employers, you're hearing me. Stop it. It's wicked and it's cruel, right? And we never were like this. America was never built on that. Had jobs that they could go to that helped them to cope with their lives. They felt good because they could go on vacation. They felt good because mom didn't have to go to work to help make it. They felt people could stay home with their children. People could stay home and be there for their children. You don't have to leave your children to people and rush home to make sure you get them from the bus stop and then the next day you go back to work and they tell you you're not welcome anymore because you have children. Come on, we need to stop that. We want to be a great nation again? Invest in our people. Our people are our natural resources. We need to talk to our young people about going to study for an engineering degree that takes five years. Go study to be a medical doctor or a scientist or a research scientist or a pharmacologist. Don't just tell people to go study for the humanities because it's easy and you come out. Long term. Let's look at these things long term, right? Thank you so much, everybody. It's been my pleasure. And it's been an honor to serve you this morning. It truly is an honor. 
I can say I don't take it lightly that you join me on my broadcast today. Thank you so much. If this message has been a blessing, would you please share it with others? Thank you to my callers who are my faithful listeners. Thank you so much for calling in and for your contribution. I take what you say. It has more impact on me than you could ever know. And I thank you so much to all of you out there who are working today to help eradicate poverty in your bloodline. I give you a shout out for all of you who are going to pick this phone up today and call one of your family members and tell them, Hero, how can I help you? I give you a shout out. And to those of you who are social scientists, your social workers, you're constantly counseling and giving people and giving of yourselves, I just want to say thank you to teachers who are seeing students coming into classrooms without what they need to, for an education. Teachers who are buying children coats not saying anything to anybody. They just buy them a coat. They know they're hungry. Teachers who stop at McDonald's and buy food to bring to the classroom because the children come into school hungry. That's a glaring problem in our society. We're not paying people because we have become mean. We want it all for ourselves. So we're creating the wide wealth gap and the economic disparities. It's not, how The thing is, education does help, but they got to get to education. I'm going to close on this. A few months ago, back in the fall, my youngest daughter was getting ready to go to college. You know, the college application process. So you know how that works in the fall. You're start looking at colleges and so on. And she needed uh, to submit a transcript to one of the colleges she was interested in. And when she went to her counselor, her school counselor, class uh, office, she said there were a number of students in there who had no idea how to navigate the process. Sometimes lack of information and not having the right information is a barrier to people achieving education. Because my daughter knew how to submit the application, she went into make sure her transcript was submitted. So one of the colleges she won, she ended up helping five other students who did not know. She said, Mom, I just sat there and I was so humbled. She said, the knowledge that I had, I didn't realize it could help someone else. And she sat there and helped them. And that made me think sometimes there is the college application. The children, but they just didn't have the tools, so they didn't couldn't access. And going to college would have made such a difference. See what I'm saying? Yeah, that made me think twice, right? I want to thank you so much. Go to my website harrietcamac.com. Uh, continue to listen to my podcasts on Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeartRadio. Everywhere there's a podcast platform, we probably are on it. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. It's Monday. Be blessed, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye for now. It's Monday. And thanks, everybody. This is Harry Gamak with Down Terror. Thanks so much. Be blessed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.